And that's a way to start the Advent series. Woo! Pastor, what were you thinking? Um, I don't know. The, the uh, Advent, we're, we're starting a sermon series for the four Sundays of Advent called The Mothers of Jesus. Uh, why this series this year? Why? Well, uh, when we think about Jesus, a lot of people, whether they're you know, somewhat church-going or, or perhaps not, know, uh, know a bit about Jesus. They know about, they could probably share a little bit about the Christmas story um, you know, the Virgin Mary is with child, and there's the, you know, no room in the inn, and then there's the shepherds and the angels. They might be able to describe that a little bit. People also are somewhat familiar with the fact that Jesus is known to have been crucified and dead and buried and rose again from the dead. And so people might be able to describe that. Uh, people often know that Jesus was known as a miracle worker. He you know, walked on water, he turned water to wine, he, he fed the multitudes with the loaves and the fishes. People, you know, just even culturally, they might be able to remember some of those kind of stories. And people might be somewhat familiar with Jesus' teaching about loving God and loving your neighbors yourself, even loving your enemies, and just the profound teaching that, that Jesus taught. What people don't know about Jesus, what many people just have no clue about, is where Jesus came from. When Matthew is writing the gospel account of Jesus' life, he said, here's the, here's the story of Jesus. It starts with Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had Judah. That's how he describes, that's how he starts Jesus' story. It starts way before the birth of Jesus and anything Jesus taught. Uh, the point here is that Jesus is, the, is, is a culmination. Jesus uh, is, is the fulfillment of God's promises that he's made uh, many years before. And, and the work of God restoring a world that's broken in sin. And so, um, so uh, you know, according to Matthew, it, it really begins with the promises to Abraham. And other gospel writers, I mean, John goes all the way back to before creation. That it doesn't start at Christmas. And so the promise to Abraham and his descendants that there would be many descendants and that there would be royal descendants and that these descendants would be a blessing to the whole world. This is, uh, these are beautiful promises and Jesus is the fulfillment. So when we talk to people today about Jesus and we share our faith, you know, people are expecting us to talk about you know, a, a teacher who taught... You know, a morality or a way of living or he was you know some had some great wisdom but what this world needs is not great teaching what the world needs is a savior what people need is to know Jesus not just what he taught but that he came as a fulfillment of promise to save a world broken in sin so my hope is, as we spend Advent looking at where Jesus came from and understand what God was doing in the world, that we would uh, grow in our knowledge and what we might actually share with someone else as well during this season. So for Advent, we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus uh, from the Gospel of Matthew. And specifically, we're going to look at the, uh, there's four women who are mentioned in this, or four women plus Mary so these five women are mentioned in the genealogy. We're going to take one of them each Sunday of Advent and Christmas Eve and look at the mothers of Jesus, uh, the women mentioned 
in the genealogy. And the fact that the women are even mentioned at all is, is kind of astounding because in a patriarchal society, in the Jewish mindset, the, the lineage of Jesus would be traced through the men. So the fact that these women are even mentioned at all is, it makes it really stand out. And so you might say, well, that's, that's actually sweet. That's a, a nice way to do Advent. And it's very motherly and very sentimental. And that's wonderful. And, you know, and then it's all going to culminate with this image of Jesus in the arms of his loving mother, Mary. And it'll all be very cute and sentimental. And then you actually read the stories. And they're not cute. They're not sentimental. Uh, all four of these women, none of them are Israelites. Uh, there's two Canaanite women. There's a Hittite woman. And there is a Moabite woman. Uh, they all have strange, irregular kind of marriages. Actually, a couple of them just downright scandalous marriages. But God counts them to be worthy to carry this royal line, to carry the descendants uh, that lead to the ultimate king, Jesus. So the Bible doesn't shy away from them or their stories. So nor will we. We're not going to shy away from these stories. Except a little bit. Because we have an audience that's mixed ages and these topics that are coming up in this text as was just read for us, there's some sensitive topics. So I'm going to might use some code language or be gentle around certain topics. And I'm not trying to avoid them because I'm in any way embarrassed. I'm just trying to be sensitive to the audience that is both online in living rooms around uh, the world and gathered in front of us here. And if you have trouble explaining any of these things, you can call me and I can help try to bail you out. So today, so, oh, my promise, I talked to Pastor Dan about this. Our promise is to, this is appropriate for, for everyone, and so we're going to do our best to, uh, to respect that. So, but let's, so let's actually stop and pray as we do this. So, Father, you're good, and we, we love your word. And we, we live in this mess of life with all of the, the joys and, and the wonderful things and also the, the challenges and the weight of it all. And so we, and we see this reflected in your word, um, that, we do live, that, that our world is very broken and that we as sinners are also very broken. And as we see your goodness and your saving work in the midst of that, we give you the glory. So we pray that as we turn to your word in this special season, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would give us hearts that are responsive and obedient to how you teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So three stories. We have, uh, I want to share Tamar's story, explain this a little bit, fill in the gaps here, and then think about the bigger story. What is the, what is the big picture? What is going on here? And then our story, lastly. You know, how, does this, how would we take this, what we learn from this? How do we take this from here? So uh, it really does start with uh, Abraham. Remember, Abraham is the man who God told, who made promises to. He promised him offspring, promised that he, would, he and his people would be a blessing to the world. So his son was Isaac. He was the son of the promise. Isaac uh, had a son named Jacob, and then Jacob had these 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then one of those sons of Jacob is Judah. Judah wasn't the oldest son, but he was the one who was promised would have the kind of the royal line flowing through him. So 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then his son Judah. So Judah is the main character in the story. Judah goes and he marries a Canaanite woman. Why would you do that? His family had a special promise. Abraham, so this, your family is going to bless the world. So they're very careful not to marry outside of their tribe, outside of their, their clan. So when Abraham was looking for a wife for his son Isaac, he said this in Genesis 24. He said, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I'm living. Just very clear. And then, so, when, then when Isaac was um, very old and he was talking to his son Jacob, he said in Genesis 28, he said, do not marry a Canaanite woman. So Jacob didn't. But his son Judah did. He, just, he wanted to. He did. It doesn't say a lot about it in Scripture, but it just doesn't, it's just not good. So Judah marries this Canaanite woman and he has three sons. Their names are Ur, Onan, and Shulah. The oldest son, Ur, Judah gets him a wife. Her name is Tamar. Tamar is the other main character of this story. Tamar, then, is the rightful mother. She's kind of the rightful heir of this royal line that's flowing through Judah and his oldest son. And now Tamar is married, and she gets to be the mother of this this line. But her husband, Ur, dies before they have children. And this is where it gets interesting. The laws of their day, and this is going to sound very foreign to us, but the laws of their day is when, um, when this woman is, is widowed, Tamar, that her father-in-law, Judah, he has, a, he has a responsibility to protect her and care for her. And part of that responsibility is that if there's any surviving brothers, so her brothers-in-law, they, are, they would then be responsible to help her conceive children to keep, their, to keep the line going. So that's the um, marriage law. So the first son, Ur, is married to Tamar. He dies. So the second son is to make babies with her, and he refuses to do so. You can read all about that in Genesis chapter 38. Um, so he refuses to do that. He dies. So son number one is married to Tamar, dies. Son number two married to Tamar, still no children. He dies. And now there's the third son. This is the last son. And Judah says, yeah, he's a little young for you. Let's wait. And the Bible says he was worried because his first son died, second son died. If I give this woman my third son, he, she's cursed. I mean, he's, he, he's too young for this. So he sends Tamar back to her family, her family of origin, and he said, you know, later when he's older, you, you can be married. But time goes by, and, and Tamar realizes Judah has no intent of giving her the third son. And that she's, and it's not like she could just go get a job. Okay, this didn't work out, I'm going to go work. That's not, that, remember how, how, Culturally, how far away the, a woman, a particular widow, couldn't just go work. She really had no hope unless she was protected, as she was supposed to be, by her father-in-law and provided for by this family, and she was not. So she takes matters into her own hands. 
Um, she has no legal recourse. She couldn't actually press charges against this family for not providing for her. So this is what she does. She dresses up. Um, she went to a place where she knew that um, her father-in-law, Judah, would be walking by. Somehow she knows that he would take a prostitute. Maybe it's not the first time. Maybe this is something in the family that is known. Uh, but she's there in that place. And sure enough, here comes Judah. Uh, he's traveling. He thinks she's a prostitute. He makes this agreement with her that they will sleep together. And she said, well, what are you going to give me? He said, I'll give you a goat. I don't have a goat with me. What can I give you instead? And she said, well, give me your staff and your uh, your seal, which is sort of like a signet seal, and these were his identifying, his staff and his seal would identify him. Basically, you leave me your ID, leave me your passport, uh, and then you're going to send me a goat later. So they do this thing, and sometime later, Judah has a, a goat sent to this woman. They can't find her. She's nowhere, to, nobody even knew she was around, and they decide, you know what, um, let's keep the goat and let's just not talk about this anymore because this is very embarrassing what has happened. He's lost his, you know, basically his wallet and, and now he's... So they just kind of hope it goes away. But then we get to verse 24. Let me just read this again because sort of this is where the story comes to if you missed it earlier. About three months later... Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and she is now pregnant. And Judah said, bring her out here and have her burned to death. And as she was brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. She added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them as his own. He recognized them. And he said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah. And that's the story of Tamar. Welcome to Jesus' family. Um, she has the baby, actually twins. And the, the firstborn is named Perez. And the family line continues. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez, through, through Tamar. So that's the story. What's the, what's the bigger story? Like how does this even fit? Two things in the big story. One is this is all about God's grace. That even the worst sinners in the world, by God's grace alone, enter heaven. Enter God's presence by his grace alone. Like Judah. Judah was a terrible father-in-law. That's an easy, that's an easy w statement. He was also a terrible brother. The chapter before this, he sold his brother into slavery. That, so that's Genesis 37, by the way. We skip that. So he's a terrible brother. He's a terrible father-in-law. He's a terrible family member. He, he, married outside, he was the first one to marry outside the family just because he wanted to. He married kind of outside the clan. His sons are wicked. The Bible says his, his two sons were wicked. He's visiting a prostitute, and in doing so, he violates 
his daughter-in-law. This is despicable. This is a despicable behavior that we're looking at. Yet, when we go to heaven, do you look forward to heaven? I do. Heaven's going to be great. No more crying, no more tears, no more strife, just the presence of the Lord. Celebration, feasting. It's going to be a beautiful place. The Bible describes it with the most wonderful words, streets of gold and uh, the, the crystal sea and it's just the, the beauty of this place. And you know whose names, you know whose name is written on the gates of heaven? Judah. This beautiful place right there on the wall, there's the gates. Revelation 21.12 says that the name Judah is inscribed on the gates of heaven. You have to look at it. This, this, this man who did these despicable things. Only by the grace of God. God frequently does not choose the best, most noble, most moral and upright human beings. Um, God is not controlled by how good we are, thank God. He is controlled by his own unpredictable grace, by his own sovereignty, his own choice, and he just he chooses this family and he's going to accomplish his purposes through it. That's how God works. Now, that's good news for us, by the way, because God's good purposes are not contingent on how well you behave, but on his grace alone. God's promises are greater than our weaknesses. So God promised Abraham, you're going to have royal descendants. He reiterates the promise to Jacob, you're going to have royal offspring. Judah is singled out to, to, to carry this royal offspring so it's going to happen regardless of how terrible Judah is, how poorly he treats this vulnerable woman. This is about the grace of God extended to someone whose own moral, you, you just, he would be crushed under the weight of his own moral failure if not for the grace of God. But by God's grace, Judah is changed. He, he realizes what has happened. He hears of this daughter-in-law, this cursed woman who's, who he thinks has probably killed two of his sons. He hears that maybe she has done something wrong, and he says, she should be burnt, killed. And he looks at her and he says, she's more righteous than I am. And in that moment of realizing the weight of his own sin and failure, that's where the grace of God comes in. He has changed. He actually becomes quite a good brother later in the story. And he does things that are righteous and good. It's all about God's grace. That's the big story. And it's also about Jesus. So now that uh, this has happened, now we have Perez who was born, and Perez, his descendants lead to King David, and his descendants to Jesus. Um, the true royal descendant of the fulfillment of God's Promises And Jesus becomes a true protector to his people, described as the good shepherd who would lay down his life for his sheep. That's the kind of leader we need, not a leader like Judah, who wouldn't even care for this vulnerable woman, refused to care for her. And the world, seeing this, these promises you know, unfulfilled, the longing for Jesus, the, the, the desire to know Jesus. And then we get to Christmas, and Jesus is born to Mary. So big picture, 
it, it gets us to our true leader, our true protector, true King Jesus. That's the big story. But what about our story? You've tamed our story. It fits into God's big story. We see God's grace. We see Jesus. But how do we, what do we do with this story? Two things. One, generally, in a general sense, when we think about the sovereignty of God, God is going to accomplish his purposes in the world, but it's not just God pulling the strings. It's God working out his sovereignty through the lives of individual human beings. Therefore, as God is is working out his sovereign purposes in the world, he's working them out through your life. So you have no days of your life that go by without the sovereignty of God at work in and through you as an individual. And the sovereignty of God changes us. So this time tomorrow, God is working out sovereign purposes through your life. And those things are changing you. And those things could either really harden your heart. We see that through all scripture. God is doing his sovereign thing and it's hardening hearts. Or it can soften and change your heart to embrace by faith what he is doing. I mean, just look at Judah. When he has this moment of admitting, yes, I, I realize that I, the, my plan in my way is not God's way. And she, and this woman who I wanted to kill is more righteous than I am. He has a changed heart. So we can experience God's grace, in his sovereign grace, every day. So you, in a general sense, this is, our, this is every day's story for us. So this time tomorrow, you'll experience it. In a more specific sense, I think there's a, there's a beautiful picture here of God's heart for the vulnerable, God's heart for justice. Here we have Tamar, a woman, a Gentile, a widow. She's sentenced to death, and she's the one who gets to carry the royal line that brings us to Jesus. Here we see God's view of the weak and the powerless, that God doesn't always use those who have the status, those who have the power, those who have the promises. He's using the weak and and the vulnerable to accomplish his good purposes. In a world that is really stacked against this woman, Think of the double standards here. You know, Judah can just go visit prostitutes, but this woman, because of him, her immorality, she's supposed to be sentenced to death. That's a terrible double standard. Yet God's heart is for the oppressed and the weak and the vulnerable. And we see this all throughout Scripture, over and over again. God says to care for widows and care for orphans. And Jesus said to care for widows and orphans. And this is, this is God's heart. And when people who have the resources and the power and the means to help people in need and they don't, that's injustice. Biblical injustice. Tamar had, she, she's not getting the justice that she deserves, the care that she deserves. She's deprived of her right. You know, Judah has essentially relegated her to a helpless life. And this is a big deal to God. God cares about justice. And I'm not talking about justice in a political sense. It doesn't fit any neat category. It fits a biblical category of God's heart for the vulnerable. If God has entrusted his people with power and with money and with resources, it is in order to be a blessing and to serve others as he served us, giving his life for us. And when we withhold that from others, that's not just stinginess, that's injustice. 
So this week, tomorrow, you can get up and say, okay, who are the weak and vulnerable people in my life? And how is God calling me to serve them and to love them and to care for them? You know, what is my obligation to them? What is my heart for the outcast? How can I make this part of my Advent celebration? If I'm going to celebrate Christmas and the arrival of Jesus, how can caring for those in need be part of that journey for me? Because God cares a lot about people in need. As we consider a God who served us all the way to death on a cross, how can I serve others? So in a specific way, absolutely we can live this out this week. But at the end of the day, we have Tamar who was helpless because Judah wouldn't give his only son who was left, his only son he wasn't willing to, to risk sacrifice, but God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good father, that you care for us, and Lord, none of us is righteous, and we stand before you, and we stand before your sovereignty, and we are just blown away by your amazing grace. And I pray that in this season that we would know it in a deeper and more meaningful way and that your grace would propel us to have a heart like yours, a heart that takes all of the the resources that we have and we we use them to, to love and to care and to serve others, Lord. It would help us to grow during this time, change our hearts to be more like you and that you'd be glorified in this, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.